Blog Talk Radio.
Situation Report with me, your host, Dr. C. Robert Jones. Yeah. Hey, listen up. Today's date. September 20th already. Beautiful. Oh, what? What's going on? Thought we were done. Oh, well. Okay. That's cute. 
All right, that's enough. All right, I think you, you get the point. Uh, we're going to pledge our allegiance. Some actors and well-known actresses would like us to pledge our allegiance to dear leader Barack Hussein Obama. Pledge that we will vote for him in November. We need to pledge that. Because we're looking for change, baby. Change we can believe in. And by the way, have you seen that hideous flag poster thing with Barack Obama's symbol up there where the stars are supposed to be? And I don't think the fact that he has this ostentatious, gratuitous, salacious, mendacious poster out what the real crime is, and a lot of folks are missing, is that he's asking $35 for it. If Ronald Reagan himself had 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 put out such a thing, and you know how much I love Ronnie, I wouldn't have bought it then. Why would anyone do that? Cougars in the house, or Cool Mike from Southern Sense and Cool Mike... Show tomorrow at 2 p.m. I'll be there. Will you? Yeah. Hey, you know, I could say it. Yeah, and I could say it quite eloquently. I could put it out there for you, but I was listening to Glenn Beck's show just a couple of nights ago. I'm a subscriber to the Blaze TV, which you should be also. And Glenn put it very succinctly about our dependence on the government and what it would actually mean, what it means in terms of our independence. So instead of me saying it for him or saying it to you, for you, let's take a quick listen. And it's a lengthy video. You'll just hear the audio portion. But Barack Obama, Glenn Beck is standing in a mock-up of the Oval Office and he's leaning against the desk. And he is going to go ahead and recite or talk to us just a little bit about the dependency of government and the pitfalls of it that I'm sure a lot of you already know. But for those of you who do not, let's go ahead and listen to my main man, Glenn Beck. Just indulge me, if you will. And then we'll get right down to it and take some calls if if time permits, the call-in number is 347-884-8500. Cool mics in the house. Mental agencies to be set up, legislation to be introduced, laws to be signed. It's therefore really easy to believe that the person who sits in that chair behind this desk directs all that flows from it. That all government decisions rest with his wisdom or lack thereof. It's easy to think that from this desk called Resolute, the giant enterprise of the government, all $3.5 trillion worth of it every single year rolls forward like a massive tide that sweeps away all those who stand before it. And at this time of year, with an election looming, that's how both candidates want you to see it. They want you to believe that they alone can take the government in the direction that the voters want to go. You won't hear a presidential candidate say, well, well, everything really kind of depends on which party controls Congress or which the senior legislator gets the committee chairmanship to write the tax laws 
or which way the Supreme Court rules on some arcane element of the law. They will make us all believe that they alone can deliver, that they alone can tilt the might of this U.S. government in one direction or another, that without their victory, the nation's course will be altered for worse or for better. Some of that's true. Most of that is really kind of nonsense. To think that one man in office, one man alone, can ruin or save America. Have we forgotten the sad and long human experience with Caesars and monarchs and dictators? That whatever the ambitions or dreams or even intelligence of a single man, that the rule of one can never compete with the wisdom of a free people. That is, after all, what we set up here in America. That's what set us afire in 1776. The idea that a rabble of free men organized into 13 different states led by a weak and largely ineffectual central government could be better and stronger and more durable than the King of Britain, the leader of the mightiest empire in the world. Nobody had seen anything like that since the fall of Rome. And here's the thing. Americans were right. If you look down here on the seal that is in the Oval Office, it says it right here, E Pluribus Unum. Out of many, one. Not ex una unis, out of one, one. It takes many of us to make America what it is, not just one person, not a man in the Oval Office, not nine justices or 100 senators or 435 members of the House of Representatives. We have to remember this, especially this time of year, when presidential candidates tell you that they have a plan to fix this or change that or improve this. Just remember, they can't do it alone. They can't do it because they were never supposed to do it. You see, the idea that the president is supposed to be this all-knowing chieftain is hogwash. They were usually just simple men and lived in the woods most of their childhood. Presidents are ordinary men. And one day we'll see an ordinary woman sit behind this chair, this desk. They're not kings. They're not princes. They're not priests. They're not gods. Which brings me to another issue which has occupied the presidential campaign in the last few days. How dependent are we on the president? Dependency on government. It's at its highest level in the history of our country. It has been on a steady march. But now, most of the U.S. government budget exists to support citizens through transfers of wealth from one group of people to another group of people. Social Security and Medicare, Medicaid, food stamps, then housing assistance. It's, it's all part of the same broad category, dependency. Practically speaking, all Americans at some point in their lives become government dependents. Social Security and Medicare, two programs nearly all Americans draw from. They're part of a big, giant government dependency system. I don't want to sit here and debate whether this is a good thing or a bad thing, or whether or not this is what the founders envisioned or not. I'm not here to focus on what this means for elections and why this puts non-dependent Americans at peril from an electoral perspective. I instead want to talk to you about the moral implications. What does it actually mean when every citizen becomes dependent on the government? What does that do to the individual? I mean, it's easy to generalize about government programs. They're there to help the poor. Help the poor. Well, we all want to help the poor. 
So if government is helping the poor, that's a good thing, right? But we know that the poor often aren't helped by government programs. Often they are hurt by those programs. The vast expansion of the welfare state has destroyed marriages, fatherhood, the impulse of parents to work to feed their children, the sense of personal responsibility to teach your children. And this happens to those who are at the bottom of the ladder, the poor. Are you saying that the poor are immoral and lazy? Nope, not at all. Look, poor people don't want to be poor, but government programs for the poor need poor people. Otherwise, the government goes out of business. And as we know, government is very good at staying in business and growing in business. Show me a government program to help the poor, and I'll show you a government program that has to have the poor to stay that way. Otherwise, the government program goes away. So do poor people want to be poor? No. How do I know? Because I'm no different than you, and, and you're no different than them. Most of us have struggled at some point in our lives. Most of us drove a car when it was rusted out, maybe didn't even have a floorboard in it. Most of us wore clothes that were falling apart or were hand-me-downs or we got from someplace else. We got from a second-hand store. Most of us either ate rice and beans a few nights a week or beans and weenies or macaroni and cheese just to save money. We've pushed our credit cards to the max. Most of us have been there. Some of us are still there now. I want you to know there's no shame in struggling, no shame also in needing help. But the question is, what happens when the government steps in and saves us from these problems because we're each too big to fail? Do the problems go away? Do individuals learn resilience? Do we force ourselves to learn a new and more marketable skill? Do we discover what decisions led us right to that place where we need somebody? Do we change because of our struggle for the better? Dependency is not nearly an economic state of being. There is economic dependency, but there's also moral dependency. I am really troubled by economic dependency in this country, but what worries me more is moral dependency. Moral dependency is what happens when citizens become complacent in their moral choices. It's what this guy has talked about, George Washington. And when you start doing that, it changes your own self-worth. Moral complacency is what happens when citizens egged on by a permissive media Look at the guy who sits in this chair at this desk as a father figure, as a great protector, when people become dependent on him or the government. The head of the government is invested then with far more power than he is entitled. That's why this guy stepped down. He said, I'm not a king. Steadily, if we start looking at our president this way, we begin to accept the premise that the world spins right here. Right here. This is the axis. This is the power point. This is the center of the globe, and everything spins from this seal. It's not true. When you believe that a nation's leader can actually affect your life far beyond your ability to think or act, you reach a stage of moral emptiness. You reach the stage of moral slavery. This guy faced slavery, stared it down. 
It's no wonder that when dictators rise up, they always do two things first. They offer unbounded promises of economic prosperity, free health care, free food, free housing, regulations to protect you against any kind of wrongdoing. They'll protect you. Unsafe products that you never existed. They'll help you. And then they go after those who stand on moral heights of any free society. They go after the priests and the pastors and the ministers and the rabbis, the religious organizations who hold honor. And they worship no God except the God, the only God, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All those people are called bigots and hypocrites and chauvinists. All those who stand for something beside the government, we're told they're not to be trusted. We're all in this together, they say. We can't have priests telling us how to run things. We're in this together. This is how dependency works First through the stomach, then through the heart. They understand that to seize power and retain it, they must have no competitor for the stomachs or the hearts of the sentencenry. They, they feed and they clothe, and they bring citizens into a soft embrace. Those free markets, I know it's unfair, isn't it? And dangerous. You need protections. You need help. Oh, they're out to get you. You're not on your own anymore, they'll say. Coming from the cold and you'll be warm. Thus, they dull the instincts for individual initiative. Not by banning it, but by making it harder. Dependency, therefore, is not a form of slavery like he faced, but as a vacation from the hard work of the demanding jobs, a break from the drudgery of a work week, a change from the ordinary difficulties of an ordinary life. Dependency makes it possible for an ordinary person to believe that the man who sits at this desk can reach right through, can come out of this office and reach right through your television screen or your computer screen and actually touch you personally to make you more prosperous, to make you more morally righteous, to make you feel that you're part of a great society. And the best part is you don't have to do anything. Just trust me. Sit back and watch the president work his magic. Oh, it's the greatest show on earth. It's a wonderful show. But that's all it is, is a show. At the end, there is a massive price to be paid. But... I'll save that for another day. I don't want to spoil all the fun. Thanks for watching tonight. May God bless you and may God bless the Republic. All right. Welcome back. Thanks for bearing with me for that. I thought the, uh, oh, by the way, this is your host, Dr. C. Robert Jones of the C. Robert Jones Situation Report. The call in number is 347-884-8500. I thought after listening to this uh of Glenn Beck's piece earlier today, I thought two things. Wow, he's got a George Hamilton-style tan right now. And then, two, I thought, what a powerful message. What a powerful message. And for those of my friends and, and listeners who don't subscribe to the Blaze TV, what was called, formerly known as Glenn Beck TV, I, I need to go ahead and share it because he put his best and, and he and he always does. Which brings us to the Obama team. They've just launched their quote for all in quote campaign in which they asked supporters 
to send in pictures of themselves with a hand on their heart and a note on the hand as to why they are pledging allegiance to Obama. Jessica Alba, Alba, who is apparently famous for some reason or another, I think she was in the Fantastic Four, and then before that she did some other thing, uh, has prob- she, she has proudly pledged her allegiance to Obama. Alba said, and I quote, Growing up, my classmates and I started every day with a ritual. We'd stand up and put our right hand over our hearts and say the Pledge of Allegiance. That gesture was a promise. A promise to be involved and engaged in this country's future. A promise to work for liberty and justice. And for, well, wait a minute now, I think she... The Pledge of Allegiance doesn't wait now. Because now she's going far afield. She's saying the, the the pledge was a promise for affordable education, health care, and equality for all. I thought it was liberty and justice for all. Huh. I Wait a minute. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. And to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God with liberty and justice for all. Isn't that what you all recall? And you know what? Honestly, I'm not even reading this. I remember it as a kid. We, But apparently, where Alba grew up, it's a promise to be involved and engaged in this country's future. It's also a promise to work for liberty and justice. Yeah, I got that part. But the affordable education, health care, and equality for all? I, for one, can never forget the inspirational words from the pledge that we used to recite. One nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. But now I believe it's one nation with no need for God, with liberty, justice, free health care, free education, and equality for all. I, I, the words have been changed. <laughs> but uh, why is that a surprise? It isn't. Frankly, I find pre- pledging allegiance to any candidate or political poli- a political figure, politician, to be reprehensible. I'll, I'll be voting for Romney, of course, and I'll never pledge allegiance to him. Do you know why? Well, it's because if he even comes close to circumventing the Constitution, also known as breaking the law, I'm done with him. We're a nation of laws, not of men. I pledge my allegiance to our republic, as do, uh, well, I would hope many of you do. Pledging allegiance to a leader. Well, frankly, that's from the playbook of Hitler, Stalin, Mussolini, and the like. But you know what? Most of these actors and actresses who are out making millions of dollars, well, quite frankly... It's a well-known fact that many of them never finished high school. Many of them. 
Oh, there's your exception. Yeah. But many of them are just... Well, I don't know. I don't want to get into name-calling. But apparently world history was a subject in which a great many of these liberal actors and actresses did not excel at. Jessica Alba, Natalie Portman, Scarlett Johansson, and other celebrities have all sent in pictures of themselves pledging allegiance to Obama. Written on their hands is their reason for doing so. For example, Alba has equal pay written on one hand and the right to choose written on the other. Natalie Portman has women's rights written on her hand. Here's the thing about Alba, though. Equal pay? Does that mean that she is pledging equal pay for everybody? Which, How much is she pulling down? She's got to be pulling down major ducats, right? So does she mean like the guy working at the Walmart equal pay, that she wants to be paid equal to him? Or does she want the Walmart dude to be paid equal to her? What she's pulling out. <laughs> yeah, the devil is in the details, that's for sure. Really, does Portman want Obama to give women more rights? Has Portman never read the Constitution? Women have the same rights as men. Has she heard Romney say that he's going to repeal the 19th Amendment and take away voting rights for women? I haven't heard anything of the sort. Alba's reasons, equal pay, and the right to choose are equally ignorant. Women already have the right to choose. And Romney and company aren't going to take that away. And there's already equal pay if you actually compare apples to apples. One thing that's really perplexing to me, that really perplexes me, is Natalie Portman's allegiance to Obama. Her dad is Israeli. Portman was born in Jerusalem, Israel. She has dual citizenship in the U.S. and Israel. So, why is she pledging allegiance to Obama? Who just so happens to be the first hostile president to Israel since Jimmy Carter. As my grandpa used to say, it don't make no sense. When we've seen pictures over the last two or three days, with Obama meeting with the pimp with the limp out in Miami, a well-known, well, uh, well-known in Miami DJ, and sitting in the Oval Office with a dude dressed up like a pirate. A dude in the Oval Office dressed up like a pirate, and in a picture in what appears to be Obama seriously engaging him in conversation as if they were talking you know, heads of state world events. He's got time to meet with the pirate, which is creepy as all be, all to be damned. You know it and I do too. That's just plain damn creepy. But he doesn't have, his schedule doesn't, doesn't fit in with 
with uh, the Prime Minister of Israel? Really? Oh, but Natalie Portman, she's pledging her allegiance to Obama. Portman is either a complete political party stooge, or she's not interested in the truth. Obama refuses to meet with Netanyahu because, quote, he doesn't have the time, end quote. Really, with all the hostility going on in the Middle East, Iran, on the edge of coming to nuclear power, stating that it wants to wipe Israel off the map, that it's its stated goal. Obama doesn't have the time to meet with our only ally in the region. He's made time to stop and have an interview with uh, uh, the symphatic David Letterman, but not Netanyahu. Obama despises Netanyahu and has no plans to assist Israel in any way. That That's made clear. So let the Hollywood zombies pledge their allegiance to dear leader, the great one, the Messiah. We now know where their loyalties lie. The Messiah, the great one, Obama, he's going to change it. He's going to rearrange it, Obama. He's going to lead us, baby. All right, we'll take a short break and we'll come right back. You're listening to the C. Robert Jones Situation Report with me, Dr. C. Robert Jones. Southern Sense. Good afternoon and welcome to another exciting episode of Southern Sense here on Blog Talk Radio. I'm the hostess with the mostest, the radio chick, Annie, along with the coolest co-host, Cool Mike. Good afternoon, Cool Mike. Good afternoon, Annie. Thank you for that beautiful introduction. As always, Southern Sense with the radio chick, Annie, as you just heard. Tuesdays and Fridays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. Live and direct with GT Rock. Yo, yo! Ah! Yo, yo! What's going on, my peoples? What's going on, my peeps? Chiski loves his peeps, he loves his radio family, and you can join him Monday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern and Saturdays at 4. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Conservative Primetime. I'm your host, GGT. Speaking of a little less bark and a little more bite, Conservative Primetime is not a show to relax to. It'll get you going weeknights at 11.30 p.m. Eastern Time. And of course, the headmaster himself, with the situation report, C. Robert Jones, Ph.D. In the interest of full disclosure, I have had just a little bit to drink. <laughs> and catch the situation report weeknights at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. This is a group of patriotic internet radio hosts. And they would very much like you to join them. And brush your teeth. I mean, tell your friends. 
What's crack-a-lackin', my peoples? What's crack-a-lackin', my peeps? Welcome, welcome, welcome to another edition of You Guessed It, You Got It, and that's how we do it, live and direct with G-Ski Rocks and the Captain. What's crack-a-lackin'? What's crack-a-lackin'? I'll tell you what's crack-a-lackin'. G-Ski! What's the crack-a-lackin', baby? What's crackin'? Well, as crackin', man, as everybody else, but everybody seems to love your style, brother. What's crackin'? G-Ski, you are the man. You are the man, dude. I tell you what, I love this topic. I love it. I wish I thought of it myself. I'm jealous. I got envy. I got envy right now. What's crack-a-lackin', Dana? My brother from another mother. How are we, sir? <laughs> What's cracking, sister? What's crackin'? What's crack a lackin'? What do you got to say, ma'am? I just got to say, awesome show. Just totally awesome. That's right, folks. We keep it crack a and we do it for love of country. So make sure that you listen to live and direct with Disky Rocks and the Captain every Monday and Wednesday evening at 9 p.m. Eastern Time and Saturdays at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. www. 20-20radio.com Always crack-a-lackin' and it's always served with bacon and gravy, baby. Bacon and gravy. Peggy Joseph took her daughter out of school early one day for this. Her emotions ran high following Obama's speech. It was the most memorable time of my life. It was a touching moment. Because I never thought this day would ever happen. I won't have to worry about putting gas in my car. I won't have to worry about paying my mortgage. You know, if I I help him, he's going to help me. Well, that one... That one never really gets old it's right up there with you didn't build that i wonder where that young woman is right now did she honestly believe that the president of the united states the election of a black president uh would uh be so would bear such fruit that he would pay her mortgage or her mortgage would be paid and that she would have free gas, and all she needed to do was, quote, help him, end quote. I wonder what she's thinking right now. If she's anything like most, a lot of Americans right now, she's probably unemployed, or working, earning some minor ducats somewhere in some big city somewhere. But hey, here's the thing. The Washington Examiner just published a 10-part series on, quote, the Obama you didn't know, focusing on his career in Illinois in ways that mainstream the mainstream media never did in 2008 or afterwards. Now, I talked to my good friend, Ms. Benning of the Washington Post. She's an editor there. I asked her, I said, hey, have you read the Washington Examiner's article? And of course, being the liberal, the uber-liberal that she is, she said, I glanced at it, but I didn't read it. Um, Okay, well, why not? You see, folks, liberals don't want to know what's really going on, and they don't care. 
they don't care. Anything that's brought out about Obama that's of a negative light makes you either a racist or you're a racist. Or you're a a conservative or Republican, which is also racist. I talked to another good friend of mine, and you can probably guess their ethnicity, when I said that, well, the reason why Obama's not doing so well in some key battleground states is that, you know, his policies are are, are bad for business. They're bad for the country. The, the the guy couldn't even tell you while when he was on lettering what the uh, what the debt was when he took office what the national debt was and of course the response was yet again I guess this is now a talking point the response was the hoods have come off the hoods have come off I've been hearing that all summer long the hoods have come off. So, okay. So I guess they had the hoods on when they went to the polling place to vote for Obama. But now that his policies suck all to be damned, they put the hoods back on. Do you know what it means? You know what that means when it, when they say they they, you know, the hoods have come off. That means that Obama that you're a racist. If you don't agree with Obama and you give him a hard time, you're a racist. Now, Univision, just last night, grilled Obama all to be damned. They were the only ones with the stones, stones enough, to actually ask Obama some serious, tough, some seriously tough questions. I was heartened by the fact that, all, that now, even at this late stage of the game, in terms of uh, the election cycle, when we're just a few weeks out, that a, finally a news media has come out and asked Obama not one, not two, not three, but nine or ten really tough questions. And Obama felt, I mean, if you look, th- look at the video, he's visibly uncomfortable. Yeah, he, perhaps they're asking questions. You know, a lot of times when you do interviews, and I've done quite a few, you know what the questions are going to be well in advance. They'll give you uh, some three-by-five cards, and they'll have the questions on them. So it'll give you time to think about it so that when you're sitting in front of the cameras, you don't you don't take up a whole lot of time thinking about your answer. You pretty much already know what your answer is going to be. And it pretty much primarily it's done, number one, is a courtesy, and number two, so that you'll ans- your answers will come out well thought out, quick and crisp, so they can move on to the next question because – as we all know in television there's a lot of there's some serious time constraints. They're up against a lot of hard breaks. So that's why they do it. Apparently it wasn't the case in this case. Because Obama seemed terribly uncomfortable by the questions he was asked. And I I dug it. I dug it. And one of the questions uh one of the, the, the Washington exam what I what I love about DC is that you have the Washington Post which is super liberal. But then you've got the examiner just down the street, which is fairly conservative. And then you've got another newspaper, which I will not name at this time because, quite frankly, I'm drawing a blank. 
which is seriously conservative. Okay, one of the questions from the introduction was, beyond the spin poles of a starkly different picture, a starkly different picture emerges beyond the spin and poles. It's a portrait of a man quite unlike his image, not a visionary reformer, but a classic Chicago Marine political. In chapter 1, Childhood of Privilege, Not Hardship, Michelle Obama says, Barack and I were both raised by families who didn't have much in the way of money or possessions. In fact, for much of his life, Barack Obama has enjoyed privileges and opportunities denied most Americans. And chapter 2, through, though initially popular as a university, university, university of Chicago Law School adjunct lecturer, he was not a professor. He was not ranking among the top professors, according to student evaluations, and his peers thought he was lazy and disengaged. Does that sound familiar? And chapter 3 goes into the 1997 speech that, that launched Obama. His 2004 uh, Democrat National Convention speech got the big headlines, but a previously unreported 1997 Obama speech did far more to launch him with big backers and big bucks. And I think we we got a gist of what that speech was all about. Chapter 4, For the Slumlord's Defense, Barack Obama Esquire, before he was asked to voluntarily surrender his law license for lying on a law application. It was a frigid January, and the slumlord who put his tenants on the street without going through the required eviction process got off with a $50 fine. His lawyer went on to be elected president of the United States of America. Can you guess who that is? Chapter 5, Obama's toughest critics on the left. Long before he ran for president, radical critics accused Obama of selling out Chicago's poor to the daily machine. Now, a place I'm very much familiar with, the poor people Obama left behind. Algale Gardens housing advocate Hazel Johnson welcomed the young Obama into her kitchen. Then, she never heard from him again after he won his first election. Now, that's echoed throughout. In the amateur, uh, a, a, a recent uh, book expo, expose published about Obama indicates the very same thing. Chapter 7, The Myth of Obama as State Senate Reformer. When the real reformers asked for his help, Senator, State Senator Barack Obama was nowhere to be found, and he voted president, present on many issues. <sighs> Chapter 9, Obama's Arab American Network. Syrian immigrant Tony Resco had lots of Arab-American friends in the Chicago business community who shared their enthusiasm for Barack Obama. One wonders why. By the way, the call-in number is 347-884-8500. So here we go. Obama's asking supporters to pledge allegiance to him, and Hollywood's all too happy to oblige, and the 
the Washington Examiner coming out with an article that exposes Barack Obama for who and what he is. Basically, low-level petty agitator. So, the question is, and I know a lot of you are asking this question, or going to ask this question, or should ask this question, I think. How is this going to affect the election? What's, how's it going to go down? Is, I mean, all of this news is coming out now, before this election cycle, that should have come out in 2007 and 2008. But it didn't. Why now? That's the question we really should be asking. If the mainstream media is so much in the tank for Obama, why now? A lot of information is coming out about this guy. He's now becoming well-known. The United States of America, Obama America. The president is relying on cult of personality in what's shaping up to be a very tight election. And it's really difficult to understand how a president with the most failure-ridden foreign and domestic policy in modern history still stands to win some 47% of the American vote, according to the latest polls, that is. But the answer is simple. Since 2007, Barack Obama has been building a cult of personality reminiscent of fascist leaders. That doesn't mean he's a fascist. It doesn't mean that he's Hitler or Mussolini or Stalin. No, no, no. But his sycophants and incagrasi, <laughs> I can't even say that word. Oh my God, I, I, I've tried to say it many times, I just can't get it. They're far more suited for a fascist country than a vibrant republic. Econograph, that's it. You get, sometimes you just got to say the word without thinking about it. So, yesterday, the Obama campaign tweeted about a brand new set of products that's on its website. A poster a poster to say there are no red states or blue states, only the United States. Only the poster wasn't of our flag. It was of a United States dominated by the Obama symbol. The poster was labeled, Our Stripes flag print. Those are not our stripes. Those are Obama's stripes. And apparently we are all his subjects. This, of course, was not the first time that the Obama campaign has expressed the view that the United States are truly the Obama states. Back in May, the Obama campaign tweeted out this, a delightful picture with the exact same slogan, there are no red states, there are no blue states, just the United States. Well, that's cute. And then, of course, who can forget back in March, the Lake County, Florida Democrat Party headquarters began flying a flag minus 
the 50 stars, the stars. But a picture of Obama superimposed. Do you notice a pattern here? Do you notice a pattern here? Who, who's, what kind of person, why wasn't, you know what, I'm not going to suggest that something should have happened to that flag. But you've got to have some serious stones if you're going to fly a flag with the with the with the with, with the with the stripes, but in place of the in place of the stars is a Barack Obama's face. You got to be kidding me! I still can't. I'm looking at a picture of it right here and now. It suffices to say that Ronald Reagan himself never hijacked the American flag for his own purposes, nor did George W. Bush, nor for that matter did Bill Clinton. Now, my good friend at the Washington Post, the fine editor over there said, or rather text back to me after I asked her about this, she said, whatever works to get him elected. Her exact words were, whatever works to get him elected. Or to get him reelected. Her exact words were, whatever works to get Obama reelected. I tweeted back, I mean, I text back to her, that is almost as dangerous as anything. I, that statement is as dangerous as anything I've heard or seen so far today. Whatever works to get him reelected? Do they want this guy reelected so bad that they would defame and deface the flag of the United States of America? That they would ask people to pledge allegiance to him? Now, to be fair, what, they, what, what they're actually asking is that we pledge to vote for Obama. Which is also insane and just as bad. Only Barack Obama, only Barack Obama has the necessary tools of narcissism to utilize the visual the the visual methodologies of fascism to forward his campaign the same day that the obama campaign decided to unleash their newest obama flag as you know jessica alba alba one of one one of obama's acolytes urged people to pledge allegiance pledge allegiance to Obama. Did you ever think that such a thing would happen? Did you ever think that any such thing would happen? Never in a million years. Well, time is running down. And we're going to go ahead and close out the show. You've been listening to the C. Robert Jones Situation Report. Hopefully, my man, 2020 Network, will be back in business. Now, we know that um, Southern Sense is going to be back tomorrow. And, of course, I'll be there. I'll be listening in. Will you? Oh, and GGT 183 at 1130 tonight. If you can stay awake that long, his show is great. Obviously, there are quite a few night owls listening to his show at all hours of the night because his show is one of the most popular not just on the conservative side but in all of blog talk radio along with my main man g ski 2020 radio uh they rock 
you know it. And Red Fox, a new addition for me anyway. I love that show. Consistently in the top two pages on the conservative side and one of the most popular shows in Blog Talk Radio as well. You know, liberal Blog Talk shows are not nearly as popular as conservative shows. One wonders why. Well, we'll ponder that on another day. But until then, we're going to head on out of here. You've been listening to the C. Robert Jones Situation Report. Thank you. God bless you. God bless the United States of America. We are out of here. Good afternoon, and welcome to another exciting episode of Southern Sense here on Blog Talk Radio. I'm the hostess with the mostest, the radio chick, Annie, along with the coolest co-host, Cool Mike. Good afternoon, Cool Mike.
while Obama's in France and telling everybody over there, hey, you got to help yourselves. The world ought to help, but um, you need to fix your corruption and you need to help yourselves and be great. He can say that here, but that's not what he's saying here. Here's what he's Every saying here. Every breath you take, oh, the clock break and you can't escape. I'll be taxing you. 